All right, it's Kincaid and Breckenridge, News Talk 770. I'm Rob Breckenridge. That's Roger Kincaid. Thanks for listening to the show today. If you missed it, uh, some interesting highlights, a lot of conversation about some statements made by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau in an interview he did with the BBC. We talked about it. We played those clips and had some interesting reaction to it. And then I got a little uppity right at the end, but uh, please forgive me. Oh, we also talked to Daniel Negrano, Canadian poker superstar. Uh, You know him from uh, TV, uh, from doing really well at the World Series of Poker, six championship bracelets. He's a Hall of Famer. He's got a movie about himself now called Kid Poker. It debuts on TSN 4 next Tuesday night. Listen to us Monday to Friday from 9.30 to 12.30 on News Talk 770 and Newstalk770.com. Happy Thanksgiving, you know, to our American friends and to people listening online and around the world at Newstalk770.com. Just revamp the website, by the way. Hang on a second. Before we get any further here, I want to remind you that we want to send you to Punta Cana on an all-inclusive seven-day holiday for two, uh, where you will stay at the uh, Vic Hotel Arena Blanca and Cayena Beach. Uh, the grand prize draw for that, by the way, is coming up on Monday, so you're running short on opportunities to qualify. Now, at some point in the next two hours, yet you heard me two hours, because we're going to do a bonus segment today while Daniel Smith is out for lunch. Andrew Lawton comes on at 1 o'clock, by the way. He's filling in for her today. So in the next two hours, if you hear us use the word cocktail, that's the News Talk 770 mm-hmm. Sun and Sand Bonanza word of the day. Uh, it's also a movie. Great Maybe movie. One way sneak it in. Oh, it's a great movie. Uh, Makes you know, me want to have a really uh, so I, was, I was distracted drink. there for a second because as you were talking, we got one of the TVs on, on the football game. Right. I think Detroit just scored a touchdown, if I'm not mistaken. But anyway, I was just watching one of these commercials. There's Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, he's doing an ad for some mobile game, some mobile app game. But I, I could, it, but it really was him. I was just, I was confused. I mean, is that really Arnold? Is he doing uh, commercials for some, you know, some weird, like, I don't know, world of something, some well, combat oh, yeah, tank yeah, yeah. game you can play on your phone? I do know what you're talking about now. Yeah, I don't know if you heard much about Arnie lately, but he no longer has that cushy gig governating California. Yeah, you're right. And there was that one time that instead of uh, being with his Kennedy wife, he was with the woman who looks after their house. Yeah. He made this baby. Bad idea. So he has had a really interesting little while. And let's face it, uh, the movies that he's done to try and get himself back on top. Because he was in those Expendables movies. There was another Expendables. And there was that last Terminator they did in the summer that didn't do too well. So it's come to this. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's, let's get under thing. You heard the word of the day. Okay. Ne- ne- next time uh, you hear us use that word, uh, call 974-8255, and you can qualify for that trip for two to Punta Cana, the Vic Hotel, Arena Blanca, and Cayena Beach. On to uh, matters, uh, prime ministerial matters. Yes. I mean, the prime minister of Canada had uh, an audience yesterday with the Queen of Canada, and uh, that was nice. He did the uh, the... The handshake where you put your hand over top of the handshake. Is that, I don't know if that's proper, I guess. I mean, Maybe at least the, he didn't do a pirouette. How do you shake old ladies' hands, though? I mean, yeah, at least you didn't do the pirouette is right, but I, I, I always do that with old people, give them the, the two-hander. It's better than the hand on the elbow or the, yeah, you know, the, the forearm. The, the upper forearm reach. The other or politician the, handshake. Or you know that handshake where you, you get the, the index finger like under the wrist bone, it's almost like a pistol grip? Mm, yeah. Don't do that one to the queen. Don't do that either. So it was it was a nice meeting between the two of them. So uh, there's a lot of interest in Canada's new prime minister uh, when it comes to uh, the international crowd. I remember Trudeau was 
you know, was almost mobbed at the, the G20 meeting. And uh, then, then in, uh, where did he go after that? Manila, was it? Yeah, where he was like the hottie at the APEC or something yeah. to that effect. All right. So uh, BBC wanted to to chat with him, so they did. And they had a few things to ask him about, obviously. But but where they started the interview was uh, the situation regarding ISIS in, in Iraq and Syria and what Canada's doing, why Canada's changing the mission. France is stepping up its mission. The U.K. now in response is stepping up its mission. And we got the Russians there, and they're, they're doing their thing. Uh, so here's uh, Prime Minister Trudeau being asked by the BBC about Canada's role in dealing with ISIS. We've uh, decided that we're going to uh, cease the actual bombing mission that Canada has so far been involved in and shift to a different military mission. We have uh, consistently said that Canada has a strong role to play, obviously on the humanitarian and refugee side as well as part of the coalition against uh, uh, the Islamic State. Uh, but. Uh, we also know that Canada has a tremendous level of expertise, hard won in Afghanistan over the past 10 years, to help with training, to help local troops be more effective in the fight on the ground. And I think we're going to be stepping up our involvement in that angle of the military mission. So just to be clear, you're not against bombing. It was more a decision about Canada and whether it was able to add value on the bombing front as opposed to other things. Indeed. There's a wide range of things that Canada can do, and certainly our Royal Canadian Air Force is, uh, is outstanding in, in doing, uh, doing what it does, but I know that we, we have different ways that we can be uh, possibly even more helpful to our friends and allies, and I've had this conversation with a number of times with, uh, with our, my fellow leaders, and, and, uh, and uh, they are reassured that Canada is continue to be a strong and active partner in the fight against the Islamic State. Okay, interesting. So Trudeau is very much committed to being a part of this coalition. Uh, Trudeau wants Canada to do its part to to help degrade and defeat ISIS. Canada supports bombing. So why why are we changing the mission? Right. Why are we pulling the planes out? It's it's that internal contradiction that I think continues to dog the prime minister. Uh, he hasn't addressed it. He didn't address it here. He hasn't addressed it previously. There was a suggestion he had made yesterday, uh, speaking to to global television, I believe that that perhaps due to finite military resources, that we would have to choose between bombing and training. Yeah, that got Jason Kenney, uh, uh, got his back up in a hurry. Well, I mean, his point was that we've been doing both yeah. for the past year. Yeah, it's quite obvious that Canada has the capacity to do both. I'll tell you what, I'm true to my, uh, true to my mom here. I'm going to say something nice <clears throat> about Justin before I say something nasty about Justin. But... Um, Justin's right. There, there's a lot more that we can do to be training troops. And I, I really feel like if there's going to be major ground gains in Syria and in Iraq, it's going to be because Peshmerga forces are able to uh, recapture some spaces as they did with Sinjar. And I think the best way to do that is to uh, uh, help them by enabling them to fight. So the more Peshmerga uh, forces that are fighting as opposed to training, I think it's a good thing. The way you replace those trainers uh, or get those trainers fighting is to replace them with Canadian trainers. So if you want to argue that Canadians needn't have boots on the ground against ISIS uh, in battle, then that's fine. But they can certainly be back in Turkey or in in Kurdish-controlled uh, areas uh, training Peshmerga forces. Well, the Peshmerga forces are you know, certainly capable of taking on ISIS, and we've seen them defeat ISIS in, in, in some, some cities and some towns. Are they really just this ragtag group of, of fighters that, that need some training? Is, is that what the Peshmerga need right now? Do they need training or, or do they need air support? 
I, I don't know. I mean, if we're talking about the Iraqi army, like we were talking about in Afghanistan, Trudeau mentioned Afghanistan. Yeah, we're talking about, you know, people who were joining the Afghan army, an army that needed, you know, some, some training. And that was certainly something we did. I don't, I don't know. I mean, is that what, really what the Peshmerga needs? They, they seem like they know what they're doing. I think they know what they're doing. I almost wonder if part of it isn't the fact that if you had a, a NATO nation like Canada more deeply embedded with the Peshmerga, that it would send more of a message to countries like Turkey that, you know, this is happening. <laughs> Embrace it. Uh, support it. Let's all get on the same page here. Because the Turks, they're not too keen on the Peshmerga. Well, the Peshmerga don't have an air force. And that's kind of what we're there as. We're there as their air force. And it just seems odd to me that they're telling us that's what they need. It's rather condescending for us to say, no, 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 we'll tell you what you need. That's the other side of this. The, the, the bargain that Trudeau seems to be making to Canadians, and, and let's be real about something, first of all. Um, politically speaking, for some reason, this guy felt like he had to oppose it just because it was Harper's idea to send jets in there. And uh, he won't come down from that. It's kind of like Andrew Coyne's uh, headline today in the Post, right? Uh, um, he can't. Uh, Trudeau can admit that they're doing the right thing or that they were wrong. He just can't admit that the other people were right. <laughs> right? Yeah. So he can't say, "Hey, actually, it turns out this conservative bombing mission was a good idea all along." The bargain that the that Trudeau and the Liberals are trying to put before Canadians is one where we're to presume that if you're not training uh, uh, forces on the ground, you're up in the air in jets. Like our armed forces is uh, comprised of six people, and right now they're flying airplanes. If we landed those airplanes, we could take them out, and they could go train some forces. The reality is that we can do both, if we chose to. If we so had the convictions, we could have both a bombing mission, that the uh, uh, missile strike mission, with our precision-guided missiles, by the way, which are a bit of a bonus in that region, uh, that the Peshmerga forces that we're supporting would like us to do, as well as the ground support. All right. Anyway, so that, that's what Trudeau said on, on that front yesterday. So let me play this chunk for you now here, because uh, here's where Trudeau is talking about himself. Now, in fairness, he's, he's asked about himself, but uh, the question about him as a, a young, handsome, fresh face in politics, is that part of the reason why he got elected? And, and what about having that last name? Uh, so I think there, there's two elements to Justin Trudeau. One is that he's he's young and handsome, and then there's the other element that he's got a famous last name, and and I suppose to some extent both combine to work in his favor. Uh, so here's Justin Trudeau answering those questions. I mean, a lot's actually been written about your appearance, good looks, tattoo, all of these things. Do you think they contributed to your electoral success? You look like a fresher-faced kind of politician to some of the others, the, the greyer folks, the greyer older folks. Uh, it didn't really play all that much uh, during, the, during the election campaign. It's because we just know used to it. Well, yeah, see, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the beginning, you know, there's a little more interest in appearance. The fact that I'm friendly and like people, uh, you know, shouldn't count against me uh, when I'm hoping to represent them uh, on uh, on the world's. It's a new generation, and yet, of course, your name is an old name in Canadian politics. And of course, most people here will know. Of course, your father was prime minister. I would let me be brutal. Does it embarrass you that you're part of Canada's first family dynasty? Uh, no, because I'm incredibly proud of my father, the values he stood for, the place he, he gave Canada on the world stage, uh, and I respect Canadians' intelligence. Uh, I know that if I'm sitting here as Prime Minister, it has very little to do with my last name. Do you believe that? Do you think you yeah, would I be do. there 
if you haven't been listening oh, to Pierre Trudeau. I, I don't deny that uh, doors opened up for me. The way I was raised was that I have to work two or three times as hard as anyone else uh, would to walk through that door now that it was open. And I think Canadians get that. There's an awful lot of people who sort of shrugged and said oh, he has nothing but a name to go on and uh, found themselves slightly bewildered as I, uh, as I uh, uh, left them in the dust. Left them in the dust, what? you say. <laughs> It's interesting. I mean, look, the guy won the election. He's the prime minister. And, yeah, I suppose there were those who said it would never happen. And it did. So, okay, maybe maybe he's entitled to uh, burn the rubber on those wheels a little bit. <laughs> uh, that would just be so environmentally unfriendly. Uh, you know, I, I look at it and I, I the, the line about doors open for him. I mean, everybody's known this. And your assumptions are obviously correct. How wonderful it would be for the dwindling Liberal Party, having just suffered defeat, uh, the defeat of Paul Martin, how uh, the accidental uh, nomination of Stéphane Dion didn't quite work out. The guy who should have got the job installed, Michael Ignatieff, led them to plumb even deeper depths of popularity in the Liberal Party. Who can save the party? And commentators who called Justin Trudeau the messiah of the Liberal Party were correct. They, he traded on the name. I would love to see a parallel universe where it's Mark Garneau who is the leader of the Liberal Party facing off against Stephen Harper and Thomas Mulcair to see what would happen. But it's shocking to me. It's shocking to me that Justin Trudeau can't even admit that the fact that he is of that pedigree helped him along significantly. Uh, there's there's no escaping that fact as far as I'm concerned. That was something he traded on. That was something that elevated him. If his name was just Justin, Justin, <laughs> people would think that was weird, but it, he would certainly not be the prime minister of Canada, certainly not the, the, the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Here's an interesting text. I want to read this. Um, here to you. It says, as a black woman in this country... I find it offensive what you were saying. Listening to two white men talk about white privilege is shocking. Well, I, I thought white people were supposed to talk about it, supposed to acknowledge it and talk about it and point it out. All right. Nonetheless, uh, having two white men talk about white privilege is shocking, apparently. He is our prime minister, and you may not like him, but he was elected by the people of Canada. Have some respect. If he says that his last name made him work harder, that is the truth or his truth. And how dare you insinuate to your listeners that it is not true. Shame on the both of you. Well, okay. Look, if, if Justin says something, whether it's his truth or not, uh, I think it's fair for anybody to ask whether or not it is indeed the truth. Justin is the prime minister, and presumably he had to work hard to get that. It was a long campaign, and they ran a smart campaign, and yeah, he had to, to work hard to win that election. I don't think anybody d denies that. But what, what I get from that interview is Justin Trudeau trying to have it both ways, trying to acknowledge white privilege, but also trying to argue that it didn't benefit him. Yeah, it's exactly that it exists, but it didn't benefit me because I had to work extra hard because of it. Yeah, he's, he talks about it like it's an impediment, like that name follows him around. You know, I, mem I remember seeing him speak at the Petroleum Club a little while ago. Uh, when he was in town, one of his first speaking engagements as leader of the Liberal Party, and, and he was talking about how you know he's aware that the name follows him wherever he goes. Uh, but he said it like it's a bad thing. But you understand something, that, that one of the most important things a leader does for the party is give it an edge in fundraising. 
That's not something that Michael Ignatieff or that Stefan Zion were capable of doing. They didn't reel in the big bucks that were going to stuff their war chest and give them a, a financial uh, edge going into campaigns. However, Justin Trudeau was able to do that for some reason. Which is to say that there's money that came back to the Liberal Party. Which is to say that there's a lot of people who wanted to buy those $3 mittens. right? A chance to have a cocktail hour with Justin Trudeau. Um, it's just peculiar to no end. So I, I hear Justin Trudeau now in this interview saying, oh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm really proud of my dad. And uh, I do have the same last name as him. But you got to understand something. That only made it harder for me to ascend the political ranks in this country to become the prime minister. Um, well, I want to play one more, Justin okay. Trudeau. Uh, he was talking about the queen, the queen of Canada, with whom he met yesterday. Uh, she also, by the way, is the queen of the UK. Did you know that? Yeah, it still sounds like a lot of sounds like a lot of responsibility. Canada and the whole UK. But go on. Goodness. Okay. Well, here's Justin Trudeau. In Australia, there's been a real debate about whether the Queen should be head of state. Doesn't feel as though there's been that debate in Canada to quite the same degree. But you took the portrait down, the Queen's portrait down in uh, one government building. Why did you do that? uh, The the there has been there had been a long tradition of uh, showcasing Canadian artists in our embassies around the world, as as you've certainly seen in in our embassy. Here, uh, uh, here at Canada House. So uh, it was. It was something that the previous government did as a, um, I think, as a sign of its disrespect towards the arts community, for which they had been, um, they had been famously uh, uh, accused, and I think rightly accused in many levels. So it was more about restoring uh, Canada's place, and not meant at all as a, as a disrespect uh, to our Queen, who still uh, adorns uh, uh, many, many, uh, uh, you know banknotes and, and others. And you're right that th- there isn't a huge appetite for uh, for that in Canada. There, there are far more pressing things, and we're, we're perfectly happy with our Queen of Canada. Okay. Well, you know, but it's interesting, because I, I, I don't think it was disdain for Canadian artists. That's, that's a little rich. But I, I do think the, the Conservatives played up the monarchy more than the Liberals ever have. That are monarchist ties, that Canadian history, uh, that was really something that, that they embraced. And so I, I think it's the liberals putting their own stamp on it. I don't think the liberals are anti-monarchist necessarily, um, but, but they've certainly downplayed it more than the conservatives did. Many, many banknotes. The Queen of Canada is on many, many, many banknotes in Canada. Um, similarly, there are many many CN Towers in downtown Toronto. <laughs> We're going to take a break right here. And congratulations to Shirley LeClaire, by the way. She heard us use the uh, News Talk 770 Sun and Sand Bonanza Word of the Day, which was cocktail. Uh, and she's now qualified to win a trip for two to Punta Canada, Dominican Republic, stay all-inclusive for seven nights at the Vic Hotel, Arena Blanca, and Cayena Beach. The I grand mean, prize draws on really? Yeah, oh don't you? I said cocktail because that was like one of the things that you could win with Justin Trudeau. It was like a ladies' cocktail oh, party. Yeah. He'll tell you how wonderful wow. China is. Here's a couple uh, contrasting responses here. Uh, this one here says, It's very difficult for me to listen to your clips of Trudeau's interview without physically wincing. I cannot believe this is who we elected prime minister. And this one here says, From the clips you're playing, sounds like he has a pretty good grasp of his position. Uh, so imagine that. He's, he's a polarizing guy. <laughs> um, it is funny, though, because now we're getting uh, you know the litany of texts 
saying that we we hate Justin Trudeau. We're not being fair to Justin Trudeau. We're crapping all over Justin Trudeau. Show him some respect. Uh, he just got elected. Let him do his job. He is working hard. It's a, it's a nice change of pace from the, you yep. guys love this Trudeau, nice going, you guys worked hard to get him elected, and congratulations, you guys spend every day kissing Trudeau's butt. Um, I'm sure we'll get those. It, I don't know tomorrow or yeah, another it, day. But this is—I've—I've I've learned not to be frustrated by this anymore. I've—I've—I've I've, got some really cool Zen approach. It's almost as though I'm smoking something because now when these texts come in, I just kind of say, "Oh, this is just kind of like the rain, and the sun will come out uh, eventually." Um, it'll take a while, but people are eventually going to recognize that this is a radio show, unlike other talk shows, where we we uh, have this overtly partisan approach where there's only one good political party and everything they do is wonderful and they are sacrosanct. They are not to be uh, criticized. However, every single other competing ideology is uh, varying degrees of evil. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it'll sink in. It'll, it'll absolutely sink in. And people will go, this is weird. This Christian guy is okay with Muslims coming to town. It'll sink in, and people will say, oh, this is bizarre. The one guy's atheist, the other guy's Christian, and they're not always fighting against each other over ideology and theology. So, well, you know, if you want to throw down, I'm <laughs> game to go. I can't, Rob, because I have something you don't have, and that is morals. <laughs> Dang. Um, but it'll sink in. It'll happen, right? It's just going to take some time. People are used to talk radio being a Rush Limbaugh thing. But anyway, look, I mean, I'm not going to speak for you here, but uh, if Justin Trudeau does or says something that I agree with, I'll come on the radio and say, hey, you know what? I agree with that. And if he does something that I disagree with or something I take issue with, I'm going to come on the radio. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? I I got a problem with that. So that's what I'm going to do. I I hope people are okay with that. Now, there are going to be times when I agree with Trudeau and somebody out there disagrees with Trudeau. And that's fine. That, to me, represents a difference of opinion. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. I think. Doesn't mean I love Trudeau and you hate Trudeau. Doesn't mean uh, I'm a liberal and you're a conservative. Uh, I think it simply means, to me anyway, that, well, we have a difference of opinion on that particular matter. Yeah, that... We invite you to follow us along, by the way. I mean, we've got a situation in, in Alberta right now where we got uh, really caught up in the ideology game, and we forgot that, um, that that we've got some business of governance to do here. It, this is a real problem, and I said it during the election, that we're, we're about to elect a party that's going to run this province for four years. Uh, let's not uh, just get too caught up in punishing the PCs with whichever uh, horse can get up past the finish line first and look at the situation that we're in. So... Um, or <laughs> that's our, our PSA, and and it'll set in, Rob. Like I said, I think the sun will come out, and people will come to understand what the show is all about. Rob and I have been looking forward to this one uh, since yesterday when we endeavored to try and book this gentleman for our show. And lo and behold, he's on the phone with us now. Uh, please welcome to the show uh, Daniel Negrano, the one and only. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? We're doing awesome. Uh, folks can follow you on Twitter at Real Kid Poker. And Kid Poker is your nickname. Kid Poker is the name of this documentary. It's going to be airing uh, December 1st, right, on, on TSN4? Yeah, 8.30 Eastern on TSN4. So how did this all come together? Why why are we telling your story now? Because I'm sure there's still a lot more of the Daniel Negrano story to be told. No, that's a great question. Uh, originally, it was supposed to be kind of a 12-minute uh, film for the internet, and then they just ended up getting more and more footage, and the producers thought, you know, let's just make this an entire full-length feature, and she felt like she had enough to make it interesting, to make it inspirational, 
And so, voila, tonight is the premiere downtown. And then, of course, on television, it'll air on TSN, as you said, on December 1st. Daniel, I mean, I've I've been a card player for a long time, and I've followed you uh, online for a long time. Um, you know, you used to have the, the blog, the Full Contact Poker blog, and 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 so on and so on. I mean, you, you've had a, you've got a pretty big online footprint, to be honest. Um, I'm kind of wondering what this movie is going to be about, though, because I feel in a lot of ways you're one of these players that I kind of know based on how public you are and how much of yourself you share. Um, but there is, I think, a, a chapter in your in your life that maybe you don't talk a whole lot about, and it might be really? your, your childhood. Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it starts uh, at a very young age, um, and then... Have we got you? ...about um, failure and how that was the inspiration for success. And I think if you look at a lot of successful people in the world, they didn't just, they weren't just always successful. They dealt with failure, and they dealt with it in a, from a place of, I'm going to crush this, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, your, your parents, uh, you know, came to, to North America from Romania looking to start a new life, uh, decided that they were going to, uh, I, I, from what I read, originally they were going to go to the U.S., ended up uh, in Toronto. And so, you know, so, so here you are as, you know, kind of a first-generation Canadian and uh, the, the son of immigrants and, you know, trying to figure out your, your path in the world. How did it take you to the path of, of playing poker? Well, yeah, no, that's definitely right. They, their, their plan was to go to New York, but they ended up in Toronto and loved it so much. They said, why would we go anywhere? We love it here. Um, but really, the path started for me, you know, as, as a pool player. I was a teenager and just, you know, started playing pool in some pool halls, really got into snooker. And through that, met some people that were like, hey, we're going to play poker tonight. And I said, okay, we'll try that. And then, you know, I'd lose my $10 and have my six-pack of beer or whatever. And then, uh, you know, we started to do that as a more regular thing. And I noticed, man, the same guys keep winning. What, I thought this was all luck. And then I realized this is competition, and, I, and I, I've always been a competitive person. Hey, were you really goal-oriented then when you were trying to climb the ranks? Like, was there always a game you were trying to break into, or uh, did you just sort of happen to play bigger from time to time? I've always, I've always been goal-oriented. I mean, even before that, when I would play video games as a kid, you know, and, I, and I'd, I'd keep stats on uh, – and before they had stats on the video games, you know, you'd play like a baseball game. I had – I'd write down everybody's – batting average, their ERA, their home run. <laughs> after each play, I'd, pa- I'd press pause and I'd write it all down. I was just, I've always been addicted to numbers and, you know, stats and, and with poker, it's an opportunity to sort of be the character that I'm, I'm, I'm actually playing it, not just, you know, a video game. Were you able to like break into these games? So uh, like, I guess I want to ask you this question about whether or not you got beat out of some games and kind of got knocked back down and you had to sort of pick yourself up at a lower gambling level from time to time. Oh, yeah. And a, a lot of the documentary, I think, is going to focus on, you know, how I dealt with those failures. The first one, you know, the first big one for me was the first time I went to Vegas as, you know, a 21-year-old. I thought I had the game figured out. and It was the best in the world. And then I went to Vegas and, you know, the Sharks ate me up. I got absolutely destroyed. So that was demoralizing, humbling. I went back to Toronto, rebuilt my bankroll, went back, happened again, you know, for the first year, year and a half probably, until finally um, – you know, I broke through and, and just continued to improve. And I knew that each time I went back to Toronto, I got to go back and, and get stronger and get better. You know, that's what's fascinating for me in, in watching you guys play. And I mean, I'm someone who, you know, I, I play poker casually once in a while or just for fun online. Um, but to, to watch you guys play at the highest level and, and to try to get inside your head and, and what it is you guys are thinking, I mean, that's what fascinates me about it, is how someone can get to that level to be one of the best in the world. What, what, how do you sum it up? What are the skills that it takes to succeed at the level you have? 
Well, there's a few key things. You know, the easiest thing that you to work on is the fundamentals, which is learning the game. You can do that through books. There's training sites, you know, practicing online. That's the easy part, fundamentals. The second part is discipline. You know, you know what the right moves are. Just continue to make them whether you're winning or losing. A lot of people, when they start losing, they panic or they get frustrated and they, they, don't, they don't play their game. They, they're what we call on tilt. But the most important thing is, is, is based in talent, and that's the ability to understand people and understand what they're thinking, what they think of you, even more importantly. Self-awareness, emotional intelligence about understanding how people perceive you. So, for example, if I was playing with you and I thought, well, he thinks I bluff all the time. Well, I'm not going to bluff you. Or if another person thinks, well, you know, he never bluffs. Well, I'm going to bluff that guy. And that's the super most important aspect that separates the great players from the ones that are trying to get there. Is that the kind of the secret to breaking out of the, the level of poker you're at and getting to that next level? Yeah, sure. If you have discipline and you have fundamental skills, you'll do okay. You'll win a little bit. You know, you'll be better than a break-even player. But if you want to be elite and you want to be excellent, you have to get that next level on the, from a psychological perspective. And for me, there's another aspect of that, which is physical health, based on looking at someone with the way they put their chips in. Are they breathing heavy? Where are they looking? Uh, do their eyebrows frown? Do their lips purse when they're betting? When they say check, does their mouth get wide? Uh, you know, all these things add up to a story that, you know, I, I come up with and, and make, you know, make a decision based off of. Yeah, well, you're that guy who makes th some of the craziest reads. I mean, there's great YouTube videos of you reading guys' hands cold. Um, but, but there's something that happened to you that I've always kind of been curious to ask you about. So I've had this one in the hopper for a while. You had that brutal season on high stakes poker where it just seemed like <laughs> yeah. every deck was stacked against you, right? Every deck was cold. And you, I don't know how much you lost in that season. I think you, you, you tumbled something close to a million dollars in that season. Did that have a psychological effect on you? That was brutal, you know, because when people watch high stakes poker, they're seeing, you know, over a season, 13 episodes. It feels like for six months, you know, I'm like losing and losing, losing when really it's just a three day shoot. You know, we shoot it over three days and then it, it airs. And basically it was just a really bad run, which happens. You know, I've had good runs. I've had bad runs. It just so happened that on that show, the craziest things kept on happening over and over. So the hardest part about it was really kind of like keeping my cool and going, is this even real? What's happening right now? And that's the tough part that poker players go through. Part of your appeal is that you're, you're such a personality, and you know I wonder how much of it is just you being you, and how much of it is you playing psychological games. Because you got some guys who just put on the sunglasses and they sit there and they don't talk, but you love to talk when you're playing. Well, that's you know that's definitely me just being me. Having said that, there are benefits to doing that. You know, the more I know about somebody by chit chatting, you know, what do you do for a living? How long are you playing? Where are you from? You know, what's going on in your life? you know, the better I'll be able to read them and figure out what they're going to do. So it's just me being me, and that I'd rather play in an environment that's fun and friendly, but there's also ancillary benefits to that. Tell me about this, Daniel. I mean, for a lot of people who do, who read the books and like the the lore of poker and, you know, the, the kind of uh, ideal of smoky backrooms and stuff, I mean, it's it's hard to, to uh, think that anybody compares to, like, the Doyle Brunsons of the world, right? Uh, but then you're, you're very much like at the one of the leaders of that next generation of poker that comes uh, between Doyle Brunson and the Internet. I mean, was, is there a – did you build – are you like one of the architects that built the bridge between the two worlds? Do you know what I mean? It's funny you say that because I've always felt like a kind of a bridge to old school, new school thinking in that, you know, I have a lot of respect and admiration for the old school, but I also understand the new school and what they're learning and, um, you know, the differences between the two. The old school, you know, they have wisdom on their side. The new school may have number crunching and they think they know everything typically because, you know, they're young and brash. 
but uh, I like to think of myself as a combination of the two, staying up to date on the game by keeping up with the new school, but also having the wisdom uh, of the old school. Well, to that end, then, what keeps driving you? Because, I mean, you've accomplished so much. You, you know, you've, you've won a lot of money playing poker. Uh, you know, to, to an outsider or a layman, it might just seem, well, hey, you know, he, that guy's got it made. He's, he's done what he needs to do. Now he can just kick back and enjoy life, and, you know, and he doesn't need to obsess over the game anymore. What, what drives you now? Well, I guess I would ask the same question of people like Roger Federer and Tiger Woods. You know, they already have money, right? Yeah. Why do they keep playing tennis? What, is their, what, are they, what are they shooting for? What's the purpose? Well, for them, you know, it's, it's their career, their passion, their love. And for me, I would say the same thing, you know. I, I want to break every record. I want to win every title. And, and that's, you know, that's fun. That's what's always been fun for me in my life is competing. And I feel, you know, I, mean, I feel energized and full of energy when I'm competing. So I'm, I'm going to do that till I'm dead. You went really deep at the World Series of Poker main event this year. Congratulations on that, by the way. Um, Thank you. Appreciate it. Do you, do you feel like that, that that's something that's so rare that that could never happen again? Like, was that your shot? Or do you feel like next year you've got just as good a chance of going deep? Well, I mean, I think for most people they would feel that way, not me. I mean, every time, every year in the main event, I feel like, you know, I get deep. I always make day three, day four um, consistently. And, you know, with the right, with just a little bit of luck, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a favorite to get close. You know, it's not like golf where if you're the best golfer in the world, you're going you're gonna to win the, you know, the biggest prize. But in, in poker, getting there is, is, the, is where the, you know, the skill really comes in. Then when I get there, I just have to get lucky. So, no, I, don't, I think I'll be back there. The next year, every year. I mean, again, I need a little bit of luck, of course, but that's that's where my frame of mind is. Are there players that you love playing against, or maybe more to the point, love beating that you just you hope that so and so's at that final table so you can just stick it to them? Well, there's nobody more fun to play with than Phil Helmuth uh, <laughs> because he's because beating him in a pot. Like, you know, it's just an explosion, right? He goes off. Like, I knew I made it in poker when he started calling me vague. You know, because he's like, they just don't know. They're right. just, they, these idiots, they don't know what they're doing. They. And when I became they, I was like, I'm they? Now I'm they? All right. <laughs> <laughs> well, to that end, though, I mean, are you happy? Are you pleased with the behavior of, of poker players by and large? When we're watching high-stakes poker, we see some got some characters around the table and well-known famous people. But you had an incident in the World Series this year against a, a player who was, like, violating the obvious rules of poker and, and acting kind of obnoxiously. How do you feel when that's happening? Well, you know, he's a unique individual, and I literally, no joke, before I played and I knew he was going to be at my table, I was meditating on a word, and the word was kindness. And then I, then I meditated on the word compassion, just so that I was coming in from the right place and it wouldn't affect my game, because, you know, he just made things awkward. And, yeah, he was definitely, you know, compromising the rules with some of the table talk. I've been talking at the table for many years, so I know where the lines are and what not to cross, but he was consistently crossing them, um, you know, talking loudly in the middle of major pots and things like that, but... Uh, you're going to deal with stuff like that. And, um, you know, I, I just had to focus on it not affecting what I, what my, my my goal was, which was to win. Hey, tell us about this, Daniel. Uh, you, you know, you're, you're pushing some chips in in a different way. You're, you're a Canadian. You're a guy who loves hockey. You're a guy who lives in Las Vegas. Uh, and you're betting that the NHL can can succeed there. You're, you're part of the, the effort to bring the NHL to Las Vegas. Yeah, no, I definitely think it's going to succeed. I mean, we have an ownership group that's, you know, got the money. We have the arena. That's being built. We also have 13,000 uh, deposits already on file um, for people that are putting money down for a team that doesn't even exist. 2.2 million people that live in Las Vegas. It's a lock. It's going to happen. Expansion has to happen. You have 16 teams in the east, 14 in the west. 
That is completely unsustainable and totally unfair to teams in the East. You know, owners have financial interest in making the playoffs. So it's not, the game is rigged when half the teams have 57% chance to make it and the other half has 50. So that has to change. So expansion is inevitable or, or, you know, you know, cut, you know, retracting a team. I don't think they want to do that. So Vegas will get a team and, uh, I'm excited about it. Yeah. But what jersey are you going to wear? <laughs> uh, well, Kessel wants to come play in Vegas, so maybe I'll get a Kessel jersey after his time at Pittsburgh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's a fair deal. Um, you're you're the you're the Poker Hall of Fame. Uh, do you feel like when you look around that room that that uh, that you belong there? I mean, I know your stats say that you do, but there's some real luminaries in that group. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, when I was nominated for the Hall of Fame, I thought to myself. Um, you know, if I didn't get in, I would kind of be, I would like be wondering, like, what exactly do you have to do to get in? <laughs> so I wasn't necessarily uh, surprised by it, but I was certainly honored by it. Right. All right. Well, people can uh, watch more. Uh, the story Kid Poker is December 1st on, on TSN. Uh, Daniel, congratulations, and uh, thanks so much for joining us here today. Appreciate it. I appreciate it, guys. Have a good one. You too. Take care. It's uh, Daniel Negrano, Kid Poker. You can follow him on Twitter at Real Kid Poker. Um, we're gonna take a break and then uh, you know just gonna bask in that for a minute. Come back and we'll uh, <laughs> we'll wrap up this half hour. It's Kincaid and Breakin Ridge on News Talk 770.